This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. I have a whopper of an inspiring story for you today. I want to introduce you to Siwan Smith, who is an award-winning diversity, equality and inclusion expert. I met her a few years back when she was working at the KTM and Knowledge Transfer Network in their Women's Innovation Group as the Diversity, Equality and Inclusion Manager. She is an award-winning expert and in her inspiring story, we look at how a sexual attack at age 17 and two brain tumors changed the whole trajectory of her career. We look at Siwan's amazing advice to help you think really strategically about development opportunities at work. And I have to tell you, this piece of advice got me really thinking myself and how to escalate ideas or concerns to safe advocates within a place of work. I cannot wait to hear your response on this one. So let's dig in. So in today's show, we have Siwan Smith. It's so great to have you here. And just as we're getting started, um, obviously, thank you for taking the time out. But please introduce yourself to everybody who is listening. Okay, so I'm Siwan Smith. Uh, currently, I'm Head of Diversity and uh, Diversity, Equality and Inclusion at Merseyside Police. Um, but prior to that, I worked at KTN uh, managing the Women in Innovation and Young Innovators Programme. Uh, I've got a background in PR and marketing, um, and I don't really know what else to say uh, there, Hannah, so I'm going to thank you so much for having me on the show um, today, and yeah, lovely to be here. Perfect. So I'm so pleased that you mentioned the Women in Innovation Programme with the KTN, because um, this is obviously the Women in STEM Career and Confidence podcast, and a lot of people have come to me through the KTN network in particular when I did a couple of the workshops for you last year. So tell me a little bit more about your role at the KTN and what you were trying to achieve there. So I started the role in April 2019. And um, to be perfectly honest, at first I, I wanted the role so badly because I was so inspired by the Women in Innovation program. I'd seen how that initially got set up and and developed and I had so many ideas that I wanted to take further and um, it was really you know a, a brainchild of Emily Knott over at Innovate UK uh, to help more women uh, innovators to actually access funding and um, to get more jobs up and running and more businesses you know operation within the UK innovation ecosystem um, and it was just such a fantastic, enlightening, enriching program to be a part of. Uh, so what kind of I wanted to do is really leave my mark on that program, drive engagement uh, up, drive the activity levels up. And actually, you know, that's part of the reason that we had so many different webinars, webcasts, um, which you were involved in, Hannah. Um, and it was just it was one of the most inspirational programs that I've ever worked on, uh, seeing all of these fantastic, really inventive women 
um, you know, starting out on the journeys. Some of them being, you know, on the journeys for a little bit of time, just wanted that little bit of extra support, that network to bring together. Um, and then Innovate UK, you know, stepping in with some funding for them uh, to really kind of drive that equality within the innovation uh, ecosystem uh, within the UK. And then kind of wider to that, you know, I also manage the Young Innovators Programme to see, you know, the youth of today. Um, and I don't mean, you know, very, very young uh, because of kind of legal responsibilities with funding and all of that. Um, but actually to see innovation really coming down to 18 pluses um, and for them to understand that, yes, traditionally you might have looked at, you know, a, a nine to five corporate role. But actually, that's not the case anymore. You can do anything that you want. If you've got a passion, if you've got an idea, you can really step up and bring that to life. Um, so it's absolutely fantastic to be part of them programmes. But kind of in addition to that, I also um, looked after very diverse uh, different entrepreneurs um, and supported that kind of more diversity into, into innovation um, element. Um, so, you know, we introduced speaker policies at KTN to ensure that we we gave more voices to more diverse entrepreneurs and, and innovators um, and you know having more voices in in the mix just added such a richness of flavor to to the work that we were doing um, so it was such a it was such a positive and uplifting kind of role to be involved in and to be able to see all kinds of different innovations all kinds of uh, different people um, involved in that and with all different values and skill sets um, and, and different sectors brought together um, to really kind of share, to build a community um, and, and to really kind of drive the UK forwards. Oh, that's brilliant. I really enjoy the um, newsletters that come up through actually from the Women in Innovation. It's one that I actually take the time to read <laughs> when we get a barrage of emails that come through. But what you were mentioning there about the youth innovation, I feel is so important because like you said, traditionally and still in schools, we're kind of, or maybe even through our parents, it's a whole heap of different cultural and other factors, but we're kind of told, okay, you work really hard, you get a good job, you get paid well, and when you retire, you can enjoy yourself. Yeah. And you stay in that job and you work your way up through that job and you stay there for life. But it's just, we're kind of shifting out of that mode now. It's very rare that you would go to a job and that you would stay there in that one company for life now. So that now requires a whole heap of different skill set for people coming through schools and into um, higher education and beyond and lots of those skills we're looking for really is in the entrepreneurial space yeah so it's so great that we've identified that one we need to support everybody with that mindset but also that there's going to be subsets of people who find it more difficult to access than others yeah there really is and um, I'm also a vice vice chair at a school in Liverpool and I see that kind of looking at the emphasis on actually what are they going to do afterwards and what opportunities are available for them and you know we, we've done engagement surveys with with their parents and said what would you like these these people to be at the end of the school journey 
and often we get back you know we want them to be kind we want them to be good civilians we want them to think about sustainability and equality diversity and inclusion and it's not just I want them to have the best grades and go on to university and then get a, a really high paid career anymore we're seeing that filtering down uh, into so many different you know life skills and and different mindsets now I mean I'm still from the kind of ilk of when I went to school it was a case of you went to school you went to university if you were lucky and I actually was you know the, the first person in my family to be able to go to school so I was quite lucky in that regards and then get a stable career and at the time that I got a career it was very much considered you know we'll stay there get a pension and yeah as you say retire um when when you get older and then you can if you if you've managed your finances correctly then you can have a little bit of a life but um you know I found that there's no such thing as a stable career now and to progress you need to take chances a little bit more and the more skills that you can build into that picture um from anywhere that you can get them uh, and entrepreneurship is such a, a great one to explore for skills even if you do want a traditional career um but it's just it, it you, you just need to keep building on that kind of skills base and keep progressing keep changing and being open to that change absolutely and I'm fully with you on that one having taken the plunge myself into entrepreneurship Having been through so much personal development, the thing that has, I guess, opened my eyes the most has been running my own business. That has provided the most growth myself, getting really visible and accountable to myself. And suddenly I'm earning my own money and it feels different because I did it all by myself. And yeah. that, it's not for me, it's the money is a byproduct of the value you're adding, but it does feel different. And I think that is so inspirational and to be perfectly honest I've been thinking for quite some time about should I set up a business and it's just because I'm very risk averse <laughs> at this point in time um but I'm thinking you know what in a couple of years I probably will take that plunge because I've seen the incredible people um that actually have inventors have started businesses uh, and have utilized the skills and the wealth of you know they get choice over a lot more you know choice of hours that they work and yes you will work hard as an entrepreneur I don't don't doubt that for one second but there's so much choice on on how you live your life then you're not beholden to an organization um so I'd I'd love to take the plunge one day just not quite at that stage at the moment oh I see it on the horizon for you and I will be championing you all the way <laughs> I know that you have been working in the diversity inclusion space for a long time now and you've got a lot of expertise so within that space and in particular I'm thinking about um still women in science the women in innovation program what do you think the major barriers for women and underrepresented groups in that space I think a lot of it just stems back to a complete lack of understanding of why diversity is so important and actually I think sometimes we focus on the wrong elements um, oh, in society there's so much and it's kind of 
wider society there's so much hatred out there sometimes and I think instead of boxing people up into individual categories based on one or two characteristics we really need to be taking a more holistic approach and seeing them for the you know the unique individual selves what skills what personality that they've kind of got the background and knowledge and all of that that's what's important that's what shapes who we are as individuals so I think the biggest barrier that I see on a kind of daily basis is people not understanding why diversity is so important why you need that them different ideas in the room um, and and that different you know background and experience that comes with it um, and also that kind of lack of understanding of inclusion is for everybody so when I've just recruited um, a new member of staff to one of my teams um, a white male and he sat down with me after I'd recruited him to the diversity, equality, and inclusion sphere uh, in, into the team. And he said, you know, up until I'd spoken to you a couple of weeks ago when you were on a workshop, I hadn't actually realized that I had a space in this sphere, that I had an opportunity to help others, that I was wanted to be part of this picture. Um, and he said, you made me re you know refocus my mind on I can make a difference I can be involved um, and that's what needs to happen to get the world that I want to see mm. and I think that's that lack of understanding is is a huge barrier but there are people that you will come across that no matter what kind of conversation that you have with them it just won't stick um, and I think that stems back to you know how they were brought up the education that they've received and um, the messages that they received at early ages as well um, and, and I think that there does need to be more done at schools at home uh, things that we see in the media and um, all of that kind of shapes who we are as a society and I think there does need to be a lot more tolerance of, of different people because um, I think that lack of tolerance really does, does drive divisions in society. Um, and it's, it's not good for anyone. It's not good, you know, the wider societal piece, but it's also not good for organisations. It's not good for creativity. It's not good for, you know, the, the whole world, really. Mm. I was doing some research recently and there was um, it was a McKinsey and Company diversity report and they actually said that if we increase the innovation mindsets of the world by 10% we would add eight trillion pounds dollars I think it's dollars to the economy just by increasing innovation and we know that by increasing innovation we need to get opinions from all members of society to do that. So we know that diversity and inclusion is good for business, business sense. It's good for the solutions that we create as well. So in the science sector, we, we have this whole thing. And um, I think I even have the book here, actually. It is Caroline um, Criado Perez, who, who does the Invisible Women book and talks about how um, the solutions that we were creating in terms of medicines were only tested on men because women's hormones messed up the results. And then they get these beautiful results for men and then have medicine for all members of society. Here you go. Here's your medicine, even though we know it's not 
doesn't work quite the same for us, but they don't want to do that testing on women because we mess up their, their kind of um, business plans, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of um, examples of that. You know, when we when we look at seatbelts and uh, car safety, that again was tested on men doesn't quite work the same way for women then you see ai technology that was only tested on you know white cvs or white skin um and it's it it just it kind of baffles me how there's these really creative imaginative people that sit there and go everything works in this one way and and don't look at the kind of wider picture and say but would it work for this person over here would it also work for this person and if it doesn't then just be honest and say it doesn't this was designed for this type of individual mm-hmm. um and and then at least as a as a society you'd know that you know in in terms of medicines that dose only works for your typical average male it but we can imagine if we'd had um let's say 50% of women on um, the board of directors, that we might have had a little bit more advocation for working this stuff out. And that these are the voices that are missing. Women, those from underrepresented groups are not getting their story heard at the highest level. Therefore, we're not getting solutions that are fit for all members of society. That's a real problem. Yeah, we do need diversity at all levels of an organization to really kind of drive the the messages home. But what I'd also say, um, and I see this a lot, I mean, especially within the police and environment, it's very rank and file, um, is that the people at the bottom who are doing the job day in, day out for the organization, whilst it's great to move up and then get your voice heard, you can also get your voice heard if you, you know, reach out to the advocates within your organization and speak up at times and, you know, networks, staff, staff groups and staff networks, you know, so important to be able to do that. And I, uh, I speak to, our, we've got seven staff networks at the moment within Merseyside Police, we're just about to add an eighth one, and I speak to them on a regular basis. And they question me and they bring different issues to light that's facing their kind of communities all of the time. And then I step back and go, well, okay, well, how would that would would work if I was to to follow that kind of train of thought for everybody else? What what impact would that have on everybody else within the organization? And is that a, a priority right at this this moment in time? Are there things that still need to be worked out a little bit because it as, as an organization putting something into place in terms of process and policies and things it does need to be a bit more holistic in nature um but actually being able to to have that that one voice that speaks up and says something to me and I'll go oh actually do you know what you have got a point or I can see that and let me see what I can do about it mm-hmm. um, and it might not be immediate and and that's, I, I think, the way of organisations. They take a, a long time sometimes to change. And policies take a long time to develop, um, as well as, you know, processes that have been embedded for years and years and years. They, you know, they can take ages to be changed. But having that that one voice sometimes that speaks up and the right people to listen, um, it kind of starts setting things in motion uh, to create that change. I love that. So as a piece of advice for those people who do not have a seat at the highest table right now, 
that you can actually find the people who are already advocating and feed into that system and network where they do have a voice at the table. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Actually, in a lot of organisations, it's not easy to spot who is a safe advocate. Mm. Um, So you you will need to, you know, actually kind of lay groundwork, understand um, who's a safe voice for you to speak to. If you've got a diversity, equality and inclusion manager within your organisation or or officers or anybody of that ilk, they are usually a very safe place um, to, to speak to because... We do have to think of, of these issues, these the implications of everything that the organisation does on everybody within the organisation and everybody that's impacted from the organisation's activities as well. Um, and whilst we are not the owners of some of that change, we do have influence um, and we're able to, to take a step back and actually you know, bring together them departments or then people and say actually you know this doesn't quite work for this um group of people or this has been raised as a concern um and we do it very we, we wouldn't name names um we we would speak on kind of generalization and then bring all our expertise and our knowledge in into play as well to add on to here might be a better way forward and here's how we would implement things so I would say if you are in an organization and you are um you know more junior levels within the organization find an advocate that's higher up that you feel safe talking to um and and hopefully that might be the diversity equality and inclusion manager it might be somebody else but then do speak up do raise your voice because the more people that do that the more opinions that that will filter through into the organisation and the more that that will affect change. Mm, you talk about the change being actual policy and procedural change as a result of these um, people who want to speak up. So that's great. And I know in the diversity, equality and inclusion space, you talked about, I actually hired a white male, shock horror to, no. But actually they would be a minority group within the equality, inclusion and diversity space. So that's they a lot often, of voice. They often are, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's, you know, quite, quite unique as a profession. Um, obviously, we know that within nursing, um, it's very female dominated. And there's some industries that are very female dominated. And then there's there's some industries that are very male dominated, uh, much more so, I think, than the, the female dominated industries. Um, but yeah, within diversity, equality and inclusion, you you see a couple of males, but generally you don't see very many white males in that industry. Mm. And in that space, so I come from the background of it was very male dominated in chemistry in higher education. Um, and it still is today we have um, only nine percent of professors are women in chemistry and in your space we have almost like the opposite end of the spectrum kind of here so what is it like working in a space that is very heavy women focused I think sometimes it can put a lens onto some activities so you do end up with a lot of gender issues coming into play um and as I said before you know 
I'm looking across the board at diversity, equality and inclusion holistically. So I'm usually taking them individual kind of concerns and issues and then going, how does that apply to everybody else? What are their kind of concerns within that kind of remit? How can I make this work? How can I, you know, actually make it better for, for certain groups of people without negatively impacting on, on other people? Um, and it's quite... Um, with having such a female dominated space it, it is one of the things that I often get is a lot of uh, gender equality uh, elements so I actually you know seek their male allies out to try and sense check some things against them from time to time we've got um, within Merseyside Police a group called He for She uh, which is a UN initiative um, and they actually help us with with some of that so we'll be saying you know we need more flexible work and uh, for mums and then they'll go yeah you do can you also make a wife men as well you know for for more dads so that they can take some of the care and responsibilities off women um and and we can see how that kind of balances out within the organization um so that we know that flexible work is available for both and when we've got a female and a male officer that are married with children within the organization we understand that they will both need time off and it's not the female partner whose career is impacted time and time again for, for sick leave for dependency leave and all of this so we're saying that that flexible approach to work and also needs to apply to the male so that the female can you know have them increased opportunities within work that they want to to get as well perfect so you're taking what potentially could be a gendered issue and you could make a gendered solution but you don't you go uh horizontally and find out what this issue is across the board and then make a solution fit for everybody yeah and it's difficult to do and some issues are just gendered um so you know if we look at menopause that does just affect women um and and yet there are implications that, that tie into the kind of, you know, husbands and, and any kind of males that, you know, male line managers that um, are managing somebody who's going through menopause and things like that. But actually the issue in itself um, is very kind of a, a female issue to, to be able to look at from their lens and make sure that their well-being is taken into account as primary focus. Oh, yes. Don't get me started on the menopause. I'm, I'm going to be 40 this year. So technically I am in the perimenopause stage, no doubt. Um, but do you know, I was thinking about this the other day. As school kids, you get to do that awful thing where they get you all in the room and they talk to you about periods and all that kind of stuff. And it's also embarrassing when you're like nine years old. 10 years old and then they get you in school and they get you to put the condoms on the thing and the bananas and I think I just remember they had this board full of condoms and they put pins through the condoms to like stick them on this board it's like no no don't don't give that as the main brand message here in through the end of the condom and um, don't do that so we have that ordeal to go through at school um, and then there is nothing. 
So no. if you choose to have a baby, yes, you get some like mater- some supports with that. And sometimes you have to pay to have um, NCT groups and things to understand what on earth you're doing. But then it's like radio silence beyond that. There is no, I honestly, like, where is my leaflet in the post about my menopause that's coming? Like, where is all my information about that? And it's, um, it's one of them things that we don't talk about very much in society. And I think a lot of women's problems, we don't talk about very much uh, in society. You know, it's only more recently that we've seen more period uh, product adverts that are being rolled out at, at regular kind of time intervals uh, during the day on TV. Instead oh of- Oh my goodness. During the day, you just said the word period. Wow. Yeah. Um, but but we don't and when it affects you know pretty much half of the population why do we not talk about it so much um it's it's just it's very bizarre to me um as I think a lot of things in society are very bizarre when you start looking at the history of how things came about it just you wonder why some things stick and some things don't you do so. you have to wonder <laughs> so I know that you're now in um, Merseyside Police and you've been doing your work there in diversity equality and conclude in conclusion inclusion <laughs> for a little bit of time now um what's your outlooks on next steps for yourself so next steps I am looking at so my contract with Merseyside Police for six months um, to help them with their inclusion strategy and some policies. Um, I'm now looking at actually further development and further opportunities. Um, and they, I think, will sit outside of the police. Um, so whilst I've had, you know, two incredible teams at the police and I work with some incredible people and networks, um, I am always looking to develop. Uh, I'm always looking for for opportunities to be able to do that and sometimes some opportunities naturally present themselves within the workplace but I'm not um I'm not comfortable just sitting there and and not developing so you know as I said before I'm vice chair of uh, Blue Coats uh, school whilst I was at KTN I actually thought you know what I want more development I want to to reach out and actually help uh, more within the local community but I also want to improve my skill sets and my knowledge in different areas so I, I applied for that that role and got it and um, now as I'm coming towards that kind of end of the the contract at Merseyside Police I have got another opportunity on the horizon uh, I'm not going to spell it out just yet um, but I'm very excited about about it and all of the kind of great you know people I work with there uh, and the impact that I can have that's one of the biggest thing that drives me to anything is the impact that I can leave on an organization and that I can have on you know programs of work and and they're kind of stakeholders um not necessarily just upwards but um you know in the wider communities as well so I'm uh, I'm looking at a different opportunity which is hopefully probably going to be released about the same time as this podcast so uh, we won't okay. spill the beans but hopefully you will have made an announcement before this yeah. comes out so we can <laughs> add it to the show notes as to where you will be working at that moment in time yes 
But I think you mentioned two great things there. So first, in terms of wherever I go, I want to add impact and I need to be able to see where I can add my value, my impact. And that means for you, one of your career values is making a difference or impact in some way. And that's something that's really going to drive the decisions that you make in terms of where you choose to work. Yeah. But you also talked about development I'm not um you said I'm not a person who can just go to a place of work and sit there and wait for an opportunity to present itself to me no so what is your strategy around developing yourself well I mean it is flexible I won't say it's set in stone because I'm always looking at what skills I don't have what skills I'd like to gain um, and where I think I can gain them from. And when I was, at, uh, and this kind of prompted my move from KTN, when I was at KTN, I drew out a kind of map of what the skills I could get within the current role that I had, what skills that I wanted that were missing, uh, and then where I thought that I'd be able to get them from. And I took that uh, actually at management to KTN and said, this is all the skills that I want to develop. If you can help with any of them, that's great. And these are the ones I've identified that would sit within this organization. And actually I can drive quite a lot of them myself. Um, And these are the ones that I think are external. However, if there's any opportunities there, um, and I have to say the conversation didn't go the way that I anticipated. And that was um, one of the reasons that I did decide to leave um, KTN because I knew that some of the development opportunities weren't going to be forthcoming uh, following that conversation um, oh wow so you didn't get the support you were looking for even though it presented so nicely yes <laughs> um, but yeah and um, it was it was hard decision um, and I was quite scared of the change but it was what was best for me. I've always been very passionate about developing kind of my career. I knew from an early age, um, and actually I've had um, two brain tumors in the past. So where, as a result, uh, I have fertility issues and I've always known then that my career was gonna be my top priority. Um, I wasn't going to go down that kind of traditional route because I mean, if I was to have kids, I am, the type of person who would be you know that kind of mom that takes them to every extracurricular activity um, <laughs> that that kind of mom um but I knew that from an early age that our children were were likely off the table for me um so whilst I might in the future look to adopt or, or things um actually having a child myself is is pretty unlikely um mm-hmm without medical intervention um so I knew I was going to focus on my career right from an early age and that's why I've done I I mean if you look at kind of my career trajectory it's moved pretty fast um and I'm aware that it's moved pretty fast so when I started with a small organization over in Chester called Laser Physics and they were absolutely fantastic. I had two um, amazing directors who let me lead on certain things, you know, from negotiating um, with with suppliers and uh, booking event spaces and managing all of their events, marketing, PR, advertising campaigns, 
all of that to have budget responsibilities so they gave me a lot of opportunities and then I moved over to KTN and within KTN I had four different jobs in the space of around about six years so you can see I kept making that, (laughs) that jump I was always looking for for new opportunities um, and new ways to develop. And then when I got to diversity, equality and inclusion within KTN, I knew that there was a lot of skills that I still wanted to develop. Um, and as I said, I took a role at Bluecoat um, on their board of trustees and now I'm the vice chair on, on that board. Um, I've got another board position that I'm about to, to step into as well. Uh, but more than that, I also look for different training opportunities that happen. Um, so I'm in the process of uh, looking to do a CIPD um, and, or, or a master's degree at the moment because I still want to develop more. And at the, the early st- stages of my career, I just wasn't in the financial position to be able to develop. Um, in that way I wasn't able to think of going back to university even part-time to 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 be able to develop whereas now it's starting to get more more possible for me to do that Um, even though the tuition fees are extortionate now yes it might have been cheaper to do it years ago (laughs) it would have been cheaper to do it years ago yeah um but I, I am always looking to develop and I, I have kind of mapped out where the skills that I want to develop are. And I think it will change and it'll fluctuate and you'll get skills in areas that you never expected. Um, but if you keep kind of self-reflecting, then it, it kind of opens up your eyes to what might be possible next. Okay, so much in all of that but can I just ask you one question first when you took on these roles in terms of like board of directors and the I think it was the VP stuff as well what was the skill that you were trying to develop by taking those roles so I really wanted to get uh, more board experience uh, and more governance experience to be able to kind of sit there and, and take a more strategic level approach to everything. So actually I was very lucky in the fact that when I joined Blue Coat, um, we, and, and just as I stepped up into the kind of vice chair position, we went through a st- strategic renewal um, of, the, of the school. So looking at what our f- five-year strategy is going to be, uh, what's important to our school, uh, and actually, I was able to, to work, you know, alongside the other board of trustee members with the, the senior leadership team at Bluecoat to help develop that, that strategic plan. So that really, you know, that element really kind of fell into my lap because it was something that I wanted from that role. But I actually didn't expect to get it so early on in that role. Um, so I was very, I was very lucky um, for that to happen. But I'm always looking at what kind of different elements. And when I moved to Merseyside Police, I really wanted more line management experience. Um, so I'd done, you know, bits and pieces here and there, but I hadn't really had to kind of drive two teams and really manage them um, on a daily basis, day in, day out, make sure their development, their well-being is looked after. Mm-hmm. Within Merseyside Police, I managed, as I said before, two teams. 
So it's not just one team that I'm doing it. It's two that I'm looking after and all the recruitment, all the well-being, balance and time off and diaries that comes with that. So when I've been looking at different opportunities, I'm always looking at where are the kind of skills gaps that might exist and how I can develop into that role. And I think that's something that as women, we don't look at as much you know, we, we see job roles and we go, yes, I've done that. Yes, I've done that. Yes, I've done that. Yes, I've done that. Uh, I'll apply. And, wow. and I I actually attended a I Am Remarkable workshop about a year and a half ago that was run by an incredible guy called Nick Himowich. And he said, men apply for jobs when they hit about 60% of the criteria. Women apply when it's, you know, in excess of 90% of the criteria. And that kind of reframed things for me. And he said, you know, if you're hitting all of them elements of the criteria, what are you developing yourself to? Just there's no room for development. You're going to get bored within a shorter period of time and then want a different opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you've not really developed any new skills in that, you're not really going to kind of take the leaps that are needed. So that really stuck with me. And since then, I've been looking at roles which are a step up uh, for me to be able to develop into and I'm very honest you know when I move and I'd say I haven't quite got this one but I'm willing to do what it takes to get that skill set. I love that and I love that I am a remarkable workshop as well I took the training in that so um but I really like the way that, um, who is the guy who did it for you? Nick Himowich. He uh, works for Strategizer. Uh, oh, okay. I love Strategizer too. But I love the way that he's reframed that, as in, if you've got all those essential criteria, then why are you going for the job? Yeah. You can do it already without any further development. So that's such a like great point. Um, so I'm, re- I'm going to steal that next time I do the <laughs> workshop. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> There's a couple of things that I want to circle back to before we finish today. So the first is, obviously, you dropped the bombshell there about having had two brain tumours and you're all here and singing and dancing today. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge what you've been through there. But also, what did that experience teach you about yourself? So, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of setbacks within uh, my life. And I think what it's really taught me, because um, I, I, and I'm going to kind of expand on that a little bit. When I was 17, I was also sexually assaulted. So at the point of time, just before I was sexually assaulted, I was all set for a career in law. Um, wow. And I, I suffered from depression and anxiety as a result of, of that sexual assault. And it meant I never got the grades that I wanted to get. So I didn't end up getting into university to study law. So that re- really reframes the whole um, of kind of my life and career tra- trajectory. Um, and then kind of added on when I was just starting to get settled and actually the, the first brain tumour came about. Um, and uh, going back to the point of menopause, I actually thought I was going through menopause uh, when, I was oh, 20, when I was I was 22. And I thought I was going through menopause because the symptoms of the brain tumor were very, very similar to menopause. Um, so I was I was a bit panicked at that point in time. It was then diagnosed that I had a brain tumor, had an operation. My 
neurosurgeon is absolutely the best person in the world um and then five years later I got it again so I just got to I actually found out that I had a a brain tumor on my graduation day at university so I'd had to go through that kind of whole degree process feeling very unwell at times not really being able to focus sometimes um only to then kind of on my graduation day go straight from picking up my certificate to a hospital uh, to be told that um and then that impacted and set back my my the start of my career because I, I had to you know have surgery recover from surgery so it, it took a big chunk of time out of when I, I'd have really started to make the move in my career and then five years later um, when whilst I was at KTN um, I had a relapse and uh, the tumor came back so I had to to undergo surgery again and again take some time out to recover from that and actually the company were, were great during that time um, but I think what I learned was that I'm very determined to not let things stand in my way so whilst my career trajectory might have shifted as a result of the sexual assault I was not going to let um, the brain tumors really stand in the way of me moving forwards and I wasn't going to sit back and say well I'll just plod along at the bottom because I need to be in a stable secure job in case you know I need to take more time off um, it was a case of I want to progress. I want to progress quickly um, now and even quicker than um, before I had the, the brain tumours because I don't know what the future holds. And I think that's one of the, the, the lessons that that taught me. I don't know what the future holds, but I know I've always wanted to progress. I've always wanted to hopefully one day be a CEO of an organisation. Maybe um, one day. <laughs> so... Uh, I want to get there as quickly as possible so that I can enjoy it uh, while I can, because as I say, you never know what's around the corner. Wow, that's so impactful on so many different levels there. And I would love to see you as CEO of your own company or (laughs) any company. I think you would be an awesome CEO and one that we would all aspire to be like. That is an incredible vision but also just knowing deep down that what you're trying to do there is create impact and legacy beyond your lifetime. Yeah. And that's what all of this kind of needing to go faster in order to achieve is really all about for you. Yeah. I, I mean, my values is, you know, as I said before, really about driving impact. Yeah. I don't want that impact to be a slow burn. I want that impact to be noticeable um and I want to be able to celebrate it when it happens I don't want to you know kind of everything happen I get to retirement fingers crossed or or god forbid I yeah I die and not haven't realized the impact that I've actually made I want to see that before anything happens Mm. so important and something I felt deeply myself with um, science. So because I wasn't seeing the difference that we were all making on a fast enough time scale in person, in front of my eyes, I couldn't feel that difference. Yeah. So we also have to think about how we want to receive the difference that we're making as well. 
And just an incredible story there about how your whole life shifted and changed based on that incident that happened to you, the sexual assault, and what you've done as a result of that and all the things that have happened since then. So thank you for sharing that with us. I do want to ask, I want to ask you so much stuff, but I'm going to go with two, two minor things before we finish. Um, we'll see how it goes, but um, I'm mindful of your time as well. One of the things that keeps cropping up for me that people keep sending to my inbox are, um, it's all well and good because I've got three kids and I often talk about working mum life and the balancing act, but people then will send stuff in my inbox, which is, well, you never talk about women who don't have children. And I say, I say, I don't feel I can authentically do that from my position. Mm-hmm. But if I ever find somebody who's willing to talk about it, I will ask them the question. So how do you manage that in the workplace environment? Because a lot of people are telling me that they get judged because of the choices that they've made. So I just wonder if you could comment on that. I think that it's one thing that I'm always judged on and I actually had a female director a while ago and pretty much every single meeting I had with her was how's your love life any plans on anything um and again you know I had another female director a little while later and uh, one of the things that and actually (laughs) this um kind of goes back to a comment I made earlier um one of the things that I spoke to her about was my career progression and how I wanted to to develop and her first thing to say to me was but what happens if you want children what like there's an assumption that yeah and that at that point in time I had then had to disclose that actually it it was wasn't likely that I was ever going to have children um I was thinking that wasn't part of the conversation regardless of if I wanted children or couldn't have them or you know didn't want them regardless of any of them kind of aspects what I was talking about was my career progression how I wanted to develop and that should have been the whole topic of the conversation nothing else should have come into play but I do I I get judged a fair bit um for you know, not having children, oh, you can do this, or you can do that, you know, you could go away at the drop of a hat. Well, yes, while I, I'd love to travel more for work, I do also have a dog. Um, <laughs> and they're sometimes like um, perpetual children, are they not? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's other things and I want a life as well. So whilst you know, I do a lot outside of work in terms of, you know, other roles and responsibilities that I take on. I also love to read. I love to go on holiday and to to explore. I love spending time with, with my family, with my niece, with my goddaughter. I love spending time with them. And sometimes, you know, my my sister might have problems picking up my niece from school and she'll ask me to do it. Well, yes, whilst that's not really kind of my role if I've got the flexibility to be able to do it I, I really kind of appreciate that that's a bit of time that that I get back with you know my niece about a bit of bonding um and I think sometimes the intricacies aren't seen you know you judge for not having children you judged for what kind of you know 
are you married are you single uh, are you divorced all of them as a as a woman where it doesn't really come into play as a as a man um and you are kind of then expected to be available for certain things all of the time regardless of actually what you might have happening outside of of work and whilst I completely understand that you know if if it was me or one of my yeah um, one of my staff members with children in work and something needed to be covered and their child was sick yes absolutely they need to go and I will stay and I will make sure that that work is done but on other times you know there, there is that kind of if it's not impacting the work if if it's not impacting on you know a child's well-being mm-hmm. then actually there does need to be some balance there as well so there's a weight of expectation that because you don't have children you're going to do more pick up the slack do all the the stuff when yes sometimes there's legitimate reasons why but that it will fall on you personally to do that yeah yeah and I've been there myself as the person who was oh God, my kids get up at 5 45 at the moment but I've been there when I worked at the university as a person that got up at half five got the like got them all fed got them all dressed got them all out the house got one to preschool got one to nursery got on went for a swim got on the train got there at half past eight in the morning feel like I deserve a medal for just getting in <laughs> yeah then you see other people swatting in at half nine, 10 o'clock with their coffees, you don't have kids. And I feel myself like you have no idea what I've been through just to get to work. And that's where some of the judgment and the resentment starts to creep in, where actually I've no idea what they've done that morning or what's going on for them. So you, I love how you've brought in the point that we all have our own stuff going on in our lives, our own priorities. And the choices that we make and I have met some amazing people recently who it's not that they couldn't have children they could but they made a really powerful decision for themselves to choose not to and yeah. actually seeing the power of that choice in them was very humbling and actually all of the judgment melted away instantly at the power behind the choice Well, I saw this great inspirational quote a while ago, and it said, the question shouldn't be, why are you not having children? The question should be, why do you want to have children? And if your answer isn't because, you know, I'm going to kind of, and I don't mean this necessarily in in that way, but, um, you know, give them me and be unselfish in nature and, you know, make sure that their well-being is looked after if that isn't your response then the default should be not to have children mm. it shouldn't be the default as everybody has children oh, i'm with you on that one having had three <laughs> no i'm just joking now but um you have to really want them because they're going to put you through some stuff yeah you have to have that unconditional love and want to really go through that and you see some children that have just been treated appallingly and you know as a society and and you know as decent human beings we should be asking the kind of question is if you weren't going to look after the child if you weren't going to really cherish them why did you have them Mm. because there's so many people who would you know and are unable to have children that would cherish a child 
Yeah, that's such a great point. So it's the power of choice. Yes. So as a last comment today, <laughs> you talked about self-reflection being one of the biggest factors in your success throughout your career so far. So tell me, what is your method of self-reflection? Because I'm going to start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I've got an actual method, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm not one of these ridiculously organized people, um, but I read a lot. And I am surrounded by inspirational women. So both in my family, in my professional life, um, my LinkedIn is full of inspirational women. And what I, you know, you can get drawn down that kind of rabbit hole of comparing yourselves to people. But I think the best way is to look at everybody as an individual and say, what is the thing and the quality that I really love about them? And try and break that down and then say, is that something that I want to see reflected in myself or can do more of? Or I don't see that reflected in myself, but I'd really love to. And then start to kind of work out what are the qualities you want to have um, and take inspiration from everywhere. You know, read and think, oh, I'd never even considered that before. Um, you know, look at what other people have done in the past and take inspiration from it, but don't judge yourselves against it. Yeah, a great point for all those with comparisonitis in the critics that go wild. <laughs> so we're looking for things that we love in other people. And if we want that quality in ourselves and just to stretch that a bit further, I also want you to look at who triggers you the most, <laughs> yeah. who really triggers you the most and what it is about them. And if there's anything within that, that even just a half a percent in yourself would make a big difference to yourself as well, because Often the people who trigger us the most are triggering us because they have something that we don't, or they're just a psychopath. <laughs> so it's one or the other. <laughs> I want to thank you so much um, for being with us here today, giving up your time, and I can't wait to see what people think about this episode. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, Join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.